Amen. Jesus, we love you. Our hearts adore you. We hope that that's the cry of our heart. We're going to talk a lot about hope over the next 25, 30 minutes. You can hold me to that. We've got Mother's Day dinner plans, I know. It's a big deal today. Hey, as we get started this morning, I'm going to ask, um, one of the things that we really value at Christ Community is transparency. We like to be real, authentic, genuine, all those buzzwords, right? So I'm going to ask you to join me in that right now. I want you to turn to the person on your left or your right, but you don't have to do that yet. And I want you to share with someone something you did as a child that drove your parents crazy. All right? Now, for some of you, this just got really awkward because your parents are here today. And this is like confession time, all right? So 30 seconds, something you did when you were a child that drove your parents crazy, go. All right. Now, if you happen to be sitting beside your parents today, I want you to end that story with, I'm sorry. Okay? All right. Hey, we're going we're gonna to spend some time this morning in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, you can turn in your Bibles there, click, scroll, whatever you need to do to find Romans chapter 4. If you've got the Bible app, we do have notes for today's sermon in the Bible app. And uh, we are on the, the very tail end of a series that we've entitled Dead Man Walking. The whole idea uh, has been thinking about the resurrection, obviously at Easter time, and then thinking about how Christ and his resurrection is manifested in our lives. How do we become people who are, we know we're dead and we're our sin, but how do we begin to walk in the newness of life that Christ has given to us through the hope of the resurrection? And so last week in that journey, we talked uh, about humility. We talked about the faith and, and walking in humility. And this week, we're going to be talking about hope. And then short preview of next week, uh, we're going to take some time to really flesh out what it looks like for us as a body of believers here at Christ Community in 2019. Man, what does that, it's going to be a whole day of hoping and learning to walk in the hope that we feel like uh, God has for us here at this church. So for today, Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 13 through 25. Uh, I don't have this on the screen, just part of the chapter. And so uh, I'm going to read this and then pray for our time in the Word. It says, For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified because the law produces wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope. Isn't that a great phrase? Hoping against hope, 
so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the hope that we find in your promises that we read in your word. May we meditate and think about and, and may the Spirit teach us from your word this morning. May we hear about your son Jesus and how he uh, instills this hope in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This weekend, we spent some time with my mother up in Indiana. And anytime we go to Indiana, it's like this little microcosm of events because you're trying to pack a lot into one trip. We don't get to see them too often. And uh, it's always an interesting thing to spend an entire Saturday cooped up in one house with all your family. There's, I mean, there's just always going to be crazy things happening. And uh, what I've learned is there's just things that we repeat, almost becoming tradition. And one of those that is a little bit difficult for me to swallow at times is the joy that my mother takes as she watches my children do things that annoyed her and now annoy me. <laughs> and it's the same things over and over and over and over again. And she never fails to remind me that I did those same things to her. Maybe you've been there. I don't know. Those are the good moments. The bad moments, at least in my life, come when I reverse that process and I begin to wish and hope that those kinds of things would be true for my children. <laughs> Tell me if you filled in this line before. Your child's name, comma, I hope your kids fill in the blank. <laughs> there have been some nasty, nasty things put in that blank over the course of time. I could tell you what some of ours have been this week, but I'm not sure that would be appropriate with my kids sitting in the room. It's just not a nice thing to say. You know, we have so many hopes for our kids. We got to, to see uh, some of that pictured here this morning as we uh, watched families and, and joined in as they dedicated their children to the Lord. Our hopes for our kids, they really give us a picture of, of this hope that we're thinking about in, in terms of hoping for Christ, or they at least cause us to, to stop and think about it. Our hopes for our kids are so high. They are so high. At times, it's harmful how high our hopes are for our kids. It can be really crazy. Uh, there was a study that was done on uh, firstborn children and the hopes that their parents had for them. And the doctor said that she said some firstborn children become successful because their parents were harder on them. Many firstborn children, however, emerge into adulthood with more psychological issues and unfinished business with their parents. She goes on to say that many issues like anxiety, obsessive compulsive traits, and anger may linger into adulthood and remain until dealt with. 
She says, this can leave scars and problems for the adult child. I've also treated many first burden children who are more successful because they were pushed harder. And then here's a big however. However, those are the folks who come to me for help because they don't seem to enjoy their success. They're not running toward a goal, but rather away from the ghosts of a relentless parent's driving voice. Yeah. Yeah. Hope. It's Mother's Day weekend. I know. It's, well, man. Whew. Hope. It's Mother's Day weekend, the mothers say to me. Yes. And when we stop to think about our hope, even around this thing that is so positive, so joyful, so good, we're reminded that when we are without God, even in our hopes, our hopes let us down. We're reminded that our sinful nature, the part of us that is dead, man, when we hope in that and in those things, it is so futile. How do we end up in this place where we have such high hopes for ourselves and for our children and for others that we end up failing one another? I mean, aren't we supposed to have hope? Isn't hope a good thing? Should we just give up hope? That doesn't seem to make sense either. But you see, the problem isn't that we have hope. The problem is what we often put our hope in. You see, too often we put our hope in our abilities. We put our hope in our abilities. It's a really easy thing to do. We might even say that it comes naturally. But as we read Romans chapter 4, we're going to realize that that, that kind of hope is, is so misplaced. And the way that we often talk about hope in our world is in a way that really is about hope in mankind as opposed to hope in the God who saves us from ourselves. So let's dig into that a little bit in this passage here in Romans chapter 4. We too often put our hope in our abilities. Well, let's talk about our abilities. In verse cha- uh, chapter 4, verse 2, we read this. It says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now, if we were to put our name in Abraham's name, right? Like, like if Blake was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If he's accomplished some things in life, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. But not before God. You see, the first thing that we have to realize about our abilities is that we can't outwork God. You might be the most successful person to ever walk the face of the planet, and you won't outwork God. He's done more good works than you have. It's this first thing that we have to begin to realize. But, but we go on in chapter 4. Verse 4 says this, Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. You see, what this teaches us is that your good works can never cancel, cancel out your bad ones. How many of us end up on, in the rat race, you might say, right? Once we realize that we want to do good works, once we realize we have the, some capacity to do good works, we start to remember all of the bad things that exist in our lives, and somehow there's this little lie in our head that says, if I just end up doing enough good works, eventually I'll work off the bad ones. But this verse tells us, that the payment for our works is not credited as a gift, but it's something that is owed. In other words, when you sow and reap something good, that's a principle that is true, but it can never go back and be a gift that pays back all the wrongs that you've done previously. Your good works can never cancel out your bad ones. 
We too often put our hope in our own abilities. And, and the other way that we see this sometimes is, is we begin to look at these good works and we begin to use them to justify how good of a person we are. But the truth is that your good works can be a sign or a seal of the righteousness that God has given to you, but they don't guarantee you anything. Paul addresses this in uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. In verse 11, though, we, we read specifically, it says this, and, and he, this is talking about Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the unrighteousness that he had by faith, of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. It's kind of confusing, but the idea is this. Abraham was given the righteousness of God, not because of his circumcision, but because of his faith. The circumcision came after that as a sign of the righteousness that he'd been given. See, so many times we reverse that and we say, if I just do enough good things, I can prove that I'm a good person. Scripture says it doesn't work that way. See, too often we put our hope in our own abilities. We put our hope in our own abilities in a lot of little ways every day, and it begins to be expressed in our language. We say things like, well, I hope I pass my classes. It's that time of year, right? We're coming to finals. I I hope that I pass my classes. We say things like, I hope it works out between my spouse and I. I hope it works out between me and this girl. I hope that I have a good day at work. I hope I get a promotion. I hope we can find time to be together as a family. I hope that our budget works out this month. You see, we begin to express what we think to be hope in, in all of these little daily things, and each of these are placing an expectation on ourselves to perform at a certain standard We're setting up expectations for ourselves and we're calling them hopes. And what we realize over time, right, is is we're going to be really disappointed because we're putting our hope in our own abilities. We're putting our hope in, in our ability to accomplish all of these things. I can have a good day if I make sure that it's a good day. I can pass my classes if I put in the work. You see, that is not the core of hope. And this is why we're so often disappointed. It's why we so often give up on things in life. It's why we're impatient. We mistakenly say we have hope in God when we are actually expressing hope in ourselves in our current circumstances. And little by little, we're giving up hopes on the plans that we had because they're just not seeming to come true. And eventually we give up on ourselves because in our eyes, we failed to execute the plans. And then finally... Lured by those emotions that the plan has failed and I have failed, we give up on God because, after all, he should have been there for us, doggone it. You see, when we place our hope in our own abilities, we're setting ourselves up for failure. When we hope in our abilities, we are hoping in our plans for the future rather than hoping in God's promises for our future. You see, there's a big, big difference. John Piper said this about the difference in hope that our world expresses and that the Bible teaches. He says, Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has moral certainty in it. When the word says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. 
It means, to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. Today, we have to make this shift from hoping in our own abilities to hoping in the promises that God has given to us in his word. We must. Hoping against hope happens at the end of your rope. What do I mean by that? And how can we see that in this chapter? Hoping against hope happens at the end of your rope. Look back with me at Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. In this, Paul is, is digging deeper into the story of Abraham. If you're unfamiliar with his story, his story began with a promise from God that he would be the father of many nations. And he went most of his life without having a child. He was very, very old, and yet he maintained his hope. The Lord gave him a child, and that child, eventually, their, their line would, would, would point and lead to Christ. And he would become the father of many nations. And so Paul dissects his story in verses 18 through 21 and begins to to think about it in regards to how we hope in Christ. So verse 18, he says, He believed, Abraham believed, hoping against hope. Hoping against hope. So that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. You know why I love this phrase, hoping against hope? I love it because it reminds us that faith is not without doubts or uncertainties. Abraham had to hope against hope. Everything about his earthly circumstances said that this should never happen. This doesn't make any sense. But when we're hoping in God's promises, we can hope against the hope of this world because we're hoping in the hope of the next one. Hoping against hope. It's this powerful idea that, that starts this equation, this, this thing here. He, he believed hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. He goes on in verse 19. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old. In other words, there's no way that I can make a child and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Two negatives. Apparently, somehow, they make a positive. The teachers were right. I don't know how. But uh, How many of us, when we begin to uh, let our, our minds begin to just consider our, our current circumstances and we think about how negative they are, how many of us in those moments give up hope? We begin to think, I don't know if I can do this or not. You see, that's exactly the spot that Abraham and Sarah would have been. I know I've got this promise from God, but when I look at my current circumstances, I don't see any way that this could happen. And yet he was hoping against hope. You see, the first part of it is recognizing that you can't. Your abilities are not enough to complete the promises of God. The promises of God require the presence of God in our lives. Then we read in verses 20 and 21, Despite the fact that he was dead, Sarah was dead, verse 20, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Do you see it? Do you see that when you get to the end of your rope, When you stop having hope and trust and faith in your abilities to accomplish something, it allows you, it opens the door for you to place complete hope in the promises of the creator of the universe. 
so often those things end up competing in our lives. When what God is really saying is get to the end of your rope. Quit trusting in your own abilities and trust in me. Put your hope in my promises as opposed to your plans. So what is it that God promises to you and I? What can you confidently hope for when you let go of your rope? What is it that you can expect when when you stop trusting in your abilities and hope in the promises of God? There's thousands of them in Scripture. Today I want to give you three quickly. First one is Isaiah 41.10. Just the very core idea that God is with you. When you get to the end of your rope, hoping against hope, he is with you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Man, there's like, there's like seven promises right there that, that are so powerful. That when we get to the end of our rope and we let go of our hope and our own abilities and, and shift our hope to the promises of God, he is there. We don't have to be afraid, though we may feel like we're falling. He is with us. We will be strengthened as we are falling away from our own abilities and putting our hope in God. There's implications to this, right? If God is with us, if he's with me, then that means that I'm not alone. I'm not the only one going through whatever the circumstances of life that I am in because he is there with me every step of the way. That is a promise of God. But what else? John 3.16 may be one of the most famous promises of Scripture. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that, and here's the promise, everyone who believes in him, everyone who gets to the end of their rope and stops trusting in their own abilities, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, not only does God promise to be with you, he promises that you can be with him forever. And last but not least, God promises that he will change us to be like him. 1 John 3, 2 reminds us of this this promise. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. There's an unknown. We are hoping for it. We know that when he appears, that is Christ, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. God promises that he is with us, that we can be with him forever, and that he will change us to be like him. But here's the thing. God's promise requires your patience. God's promise requires your patience. Whenever we make a promise to someone, whether it be our spouse when we're married, our kids when they ask if we can do something this weekend, and we make a promise to them, there's, a, there's an expectation in there that the time will pass before that promise will materialize. It requires us to be patient. And so too do the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 16, tell us about that process in Abraham's life that we have read about in, in Romans 4. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. It's kind of a cool thought, isn't it? God couldn't swear to anyone because he's God. And he said, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Waiting patiently. Church, the question becomes, how do we develop patience? Both in ourselves and in our families and in our community groups, how do we develop patience as we wait on the promises of God? How do we do that? I offer three quick suggestions. Number one is we have to intentionally remember God's promises. It's really easy to get caught up in our plans, isn't it? It's really easy to get caught up in our ability to to do something that day, to take control of the situation, but we must remember God's promises. John 14, 26 says this, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. You see, our ability to remember God's promises is actually supported by the fact that God wants to come and live within us through his Spirit. He is helping us to do that. So here's a couple of suggestions, practical ways that you can remember God's promises this week. Number one, if you have a a habit of reading Scripture on a daily basis or a regular basis, I would encourage you to read until you can write one promise down that God has made to you in Scripture, and then write it down for that day and remember it, embed it into who you are and to what your day looks like. The second thing that I would uh, recommend to you, uh, this is something that kind of, as you grow in Christ, it becomes more and more natural. But the reality is, is the greatest preacher that you will ever hear is yourself. You must, as a Christian, be preaching sermons to yourself. You must think about the problems that are, are present in your life and think about what God's word says to them. Write sermons to yourself to remember God's promises. Number two, be content. This is so hard, isn't it? To be content. And we must be quick to note that being content is not being comfortable. Being content is being confident that God's promises will outlast your problems. That's what it means to be content in the Lord. I love this weekend. One of the things that... um, happens a lot of times at my mom's house when we go up there with our kids is that you know we've got all of these crazy cool toys and technology and all this stuff and mom is always so good about getting out something super plain and super ordinary and so this weekend magnolia is toddling around the the floor and she gets out a simple pot and a wooden spoon and magnolia's just like "Ah!" she loved it like she had more fun like banging on a pot than anything else in the world And you just want to be present in that moment, right? She was filled with so much joy in that moment because she was content with what she had right in front of her. We can take a lesson from that. So often being content is connected to our being present in the moments. Be present. Disconnect from your phone. Be present with your family. Be present in whatever conversation you're having. It's so difficult in our day and age. But to be present helps us to be content. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes about this struggle in his own life. And it's a misquoted verse that often ends up putting people's hope back in their own abilities. Paul says this, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. See, that phrase, that verse, which so often gets slapped on whatever we want to accomplish in our life, 
is really a statement about how we can endure whatever our day brings because we have put our hope in God's promises instead of our abilities. Be content. Remember God's promises. And last but not least, don't quit. Don't quit. More and more, I see the epidemic (laughs) rising. It's just so much easier to quit. So much easier to give up on on people and things and uh, projects. I, again, love what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. You know, even in that, we're like, yeah, Paul, you were awesome. Look at all that you did in your life. But then he says this in verse 8. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. You see, it wasn't what Paul accomplished in life. It was his ability to not quit on the faith that the Lord had given to him. We must not quit on people or projects in order to develop our ability to endure in the faith. As we begin to cultivate this habit in our lives, it's not about what we're not quitting on in life. It's about the ability to not quit in our faith in the hard moments and hard seasons. And we do these three things because today we recognize that Jesus has been incredibly patient towards us. Incredibly so. Jesus has remembered the promises that his father spoke to him about you. God the Father will always love you. He's created you in his image, and he has promised promised to have a plan for your life that brings glory to his name. And he will continue to be patient with you because he doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want to lose you. He doesn't want to lose you to the world. He doesn't want to lose you to some temptation. He doesn't want to lose you to your doubts or your fears. He doesn't want to lose you to your ability to, to do a lot of things really well. And so today, if you're at the end of your rope, hope against hope. Hope against hope. No longer, no longer set in your mind, no longer will you hope in yourself, in the things of this world, in the plans that you have, but instead in the promises of God, that he is with you and that he wants you to be with him forever. By faith and hope in him, you'll be transformed into his likeness. Hope in God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us again what it is to hope in you. Forgive us, Father, where we have fallen into a pattern of of placing our hope in worldly things. Give us your spirit to remind us of the promises that we have in you. Spirit, I do pray that for those who are here this morning that are recognizing that they have not placed their hope in you alone, I pray that you would convict them and at the same time comfort them as you call them to repent to place their hope in Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for your word. We pray 
that it would continue to reveal to us the hope we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.